Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Successfully Navigating the Gray Area of Contractor Safety, sponsored by Veriforce. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Marcus Pettis, Safety and Supply Chain Product Manager for Veriforce. Marcus directs the development and delivery of safety compliance solutions and is experienced in compliance with OSHA, Department of Transportation, Environmental Protect Protection Agency, and Department of Defense Regulations. A veteran of the United States Navy, he joined Veriforce in 2012. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Marcus, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thank you, Kevin, and hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. First, for those who are not familiar with Veriforce, we are a leading provider of solutions that enhance workforce and community safety and reduce risk to organizations. Our solutions meet the needs of companies across a wide range of industries, and we help organizations simplify their contractor management, streamline compliance processes, improve safety, and more effectively mitigate third-party and regulatory risk through our integrated software solutions to manage safety, certificate of insurance tracking, drug and alcohol, and operator qualification programs, plus audits, consulting, and training services. All right, so today's session is about navigating through the gray area of contractor safety. And when I say gray area, I'm talking about making exceptions. Allowing the use of a contractor that doesn't meet your company's established definition of a safe contractor as part of a contractor safety qualification program. All right, so first, I'm going to make the case for having a formal exception management process and why that's critical for your company to have one in place and what strong exception management process looks like. Next, we'll discuss an action plan. This will be the specific next steps you need to take to define and implement an exception process at your company, as well as some tips for helping your weakest contractors get better at safety so they're not constantly working under an exception. And then lastly, we'll discuss technology's critical role. It's going to be how technology and data can be used to support a very streamlined and disciplined approach to managing exceptions so that you're ultimately able to meet your company's needs for contractors, but do so without undermining your contractor safety program and its ability to do, reduce risk. So before we dive into these topics, 
let's stop and ask the question, why does having a contractor safety program even matter? All right, now, just to level set, when I say contractor safety program, I'm talking about a program that, at minimum, enables your company to consistently evaluate each contractor safety record and safety program before they're approved to work for you. Now, this is often called a safety prequalification program. Now, ideally, as your program matures, it's also providing tools and data that helps you drive safety improvement among your contractor pool. Now you may ask, why is having this type of contractor program so critical? Well, it's about managing the potential risk for companies that are caused by contractors, which you can see here on the screen. So they, there's diminished work quality, which I think we can all understand safety and quality go hand in hand. There's disruption operations, like delaying work, and reputational damage where your company's own brand suffers due to the action of the contractor. Now, all three of these risks can just negatively impact your company's bottom line. You can even turn on the news and easily see cases where poor safety performance by contractors cause trouble for a company. You might have seen in the headlines about Tesla over the past few months. They're actually under investigation by the state of California for multiple worker injuries. Now, it's Tesla is trying to distance itself from these injuries by making the argument that a subcontractor is responsible, but it's Tesla's name that you see in the headlines, and it's Tesla's brand and reputation that are suffering due to the bad press, not the contractors. Another one here is Ford, who had to stop production of its best-selling F-150 truck for two weeks in May last year. Now, this was due to one of the suppliers that had an explosion that injured two workers and took that plant offline. Now, that supplier had previously been cited for seven safety violations dating back to 2014, and three of those were serious violations. And then in Q2 of last year, Ford reported a year-over-year -year $579 million decline in earnings in North America, which they did attribute to the incident at their supplier's plant. So it's clear that mitigating risk and the associated financial consequences drive a clear need for contractor safety program. Now, how do these types of programs typically work? So a safety prequalification program is a vetting process that verifies contractors are compliant with your company's specific set of safety standards and OSHA standards before they can be hired to work. Now, normally your safety group's gonna establish what they consider a safe contractor based on data points such as injury rates and safety policies. Then they will collect that safety information like OSHA stats and safety manuals from the contractors. They'll review this information and then rate that contractor. Now this rating level, ideally in the form of a score or a letter grade, uh, then typically translates to whether or not that contractor is approved to work for your company. Uh, a contractor maybe with a grade of an A or a B might, might be considered approved for you. Now, all of this contractor information and the contractor score and grade will be housed in a spreadsheet or even in a software tool like you see here on the screen, which your internal staff would reference when they need to hire a contractor.
All right, now let's see a normal easy day and how it would go in the pre-qual process. You got a project manager, needs a contractor. He or she's gonna have access to your company's list of approved contractors, and that's gonna be that spreadsheet or maybe a software. And then they find one or more approved contractors on that list that meets their project requirements and are available for the work. Then that contractor's hired and the project starts and it completes uh, and it's just easy and straightforward, just like this, right? Uh, but you're probably laughing right now because you know that's not how these programs run. Your reality is probably a little bit different. We've learned that the business reality is that your company gets hit with all sorts of scenarios where the happy path that we just talked about doesn't work. And you have jobs and projects that require very special skilled employees, maybe specialized equipment, uh, maybe the project site is in a very, very unique and remote location, uh, or you have the contractor during a specific window of time, and in order to keep a project on track and meet other project dependencies, you gotta get them going, right? And then there's those emergency situations where your company needs someone now to mitigate the impact of something that just happened. And maybe that was weather-related or even an incident or accident. So you're going to go into your system uh, or your spreadsheet and look for that improved contractor. Then make sure that they meet one or more of these needs. And all you're going to find are these options with poor safety records who aren't approved for use. Or maybe it's different. Maybe you suddenly have uh, an unexpected mass quantity of work, more than your current approved contractor can even handle, and there's just no time to get some brand new contractor through your typical pre-qualification process before they need to start that work. Uh, just an example here, I live in Houston where we were not so long ago impacted by Hurricane Harvey. You know, think of the utility companies here. You got lines down all over the place. You need to bring power back up as soon as possible. And you know you're going to need additional contractors to do so. I mean, you've got to make an exception. You've got to get contractors working while, in parallel, you get them up to speed with your pre-qualification requirements. So it's clear that exceptions just are a reality. All right, now that we've talked through some examples of exceptions, I'd like to get some insight into how your company deals with them. So let's do a quick polling question. All right, does your company have a formal process to approve and document contractors' exceptions? And it's a simple yes or no, and I'll give you a couple seconds. All right, uh, look at the results. It's good, good to see a lot of people do, and there are uh, some that don't. Uh, so now let's look at some objectives of a strong exception management process. And for those that selected no, we'll get you on the road for either implementing one at your organization, and for those that selected yes, uh, maybe there's some ideas for enhancing what you've already done today. All right, so what are the high-level objectives behind a strong exception management process? The first one here you're going to see is proactive risk mitigation. If you have a clear, well-communicated exception process that your organization follows, it's going to give you the opportunity as a safety professional to put some guardrails in place, so to speak, to reduce the risk of using that contractor. You know, you might approve the exception under the condition 
that that contractor must have a safety professional on site at all times during that work. So you can proactively take those extra precautions when needed. All right, now the next objective here is protecting your company, right? This is that CYA aspect of having a strong process. If there's ever an incident or an accident with an unapproved contractor, you're going to get this question. Why did we use them if they didn't meet our safety standards? That's going to be raised. And you're going to have to have a clear audit trail of who approved them, why were they even approved, and under what conditions, if any, were a part of the approval. And then finally, an exception process should give you that visibility. All right, this is where it's going to highlight where there's potential need for corrective actions or perhaps uh, if there's a long-term pattern of exceptions, the need to find an alternative provider who can do the same type of work. You know, when you have a process, you can begin to see those trends. You know, for example, are you granting an exception to the same contractor over and over again? Well, if so, it's time to dedicate some resources to help them correct course. All right, so now let's dive a little deeper and talk about the practical considerations and next steps for getting a strong exception process off the ground. All right, so the first thing you'll need to have is a clear definition of an approved contractor. Now, this is the core part of an effective safety prequalification program, determining which information and data about a contractor safety program will be gathered and reviewed, and then how will that information be translated into that safety score or letter grade, and then what minimum score or letter grade is even acceptable to your organization and its level of risk tolerance. So here at Veriforce, our solution assigns a letter grade, and for the majority of our clients, an A or B normally constitutes as an approved contractor when those C or lower grades would require an exception in order to use them. Basically, my point here is you have to clearly define what consists of an approved versus an unapproved contractor as a starting point of your exception process. Then next, you'll need to identify your exception process governance structure. In other words here, who are the authorized approvers of exceptions at your company? Now, typically, personnel that we've seen responsible for making the call of exceptions are going to be that senior safety professional you know, who have that expertise to review the details behind that contractor safety score and even recommend potential risk mitigation requirements. Uh, we've also seen the use of committees by our clients. I mean, this is typically a committee formed of different people from different departments. It would be safety represented, supply chain represented, um, operations is there, and sometimes there's legal or risk involved in these teams. And then that team's going to review and decide the course of action for all the new exceptions. All right, then you should also consider whether multiple levels of approval need to be part of your process. So if a contractor is being used for a type of high-risk work, you know, or in a certain location, maybe for a really long length of time, uh, when there's certain risk factors at play, you know, do you need a VP to sign off on the approval of this exception? So you're going to need to define your criteria for when another higher level of review and approval is required. Let me give you an example. One of our clients requires a director 
to approve the use of a contractor with a D safety grade. But then for an F contractor, that requires a VP approval. So you can see here, the greater the risk, the higher level of approval. And right, then you need to think about how you want to control exceptions as part of your process. When you grant an exception to use a contractor, can they be used for any project or any length of time? You know, as you can imagine, best practice would be implementing, implementing tighter controls, right? For example, uh, granting exceptions on a project level basis, you know, meaning you can use that contractor for this specific project. And then even time boxing that exception, you know, should basically have a reasonable expiration date after which if the contractor still has more work to do on the project um, or a new exception request needs to be submitted and approved to ensure the company is good with extending that contractor's work on that job site. So this project level and time boxing are just two key types of controls to consider. You know, there may be others you want to implement as well. All right, then the next step, putting some thought into additional risk mitigation requirements that you may want to implement when granting exceptions. Think of these as your guardrails while using a contractor that has less than a stellar safety record. Uh, maybe you're gonna want to require one or more safety professionals uh, from your company or even the contractor safety professionals to be on site daily during that work. Uh, is there maybe some additional training you would like the contractor personnel to undergo? Uh, will you require your safety team maybe to conduct some uh, periodic site audits? And then it's also about defining how those who govern your program and have that authority to grant the exceptions need to document their decisions. In some cases, it's about documenting the additional requirements that we just talked about. Um, and then in other cases, additional risk mitigation efforts may not be needed. I mean, think of a scenario where the safety professional reviews the contractor's safety record, and when they have a bad grade, it turns out it was actually due to an incident that may have been unavoidable or, or really not their fault, right? So example, uh, think of an auto accident where the other party was the cause, uh, but it negatively impacted the stats and therefore their grade in your program. You know, in this case, it's just simply important your staff knows how to appropriately document that contractor record was reviewed and that their poor safety grade was actually acceptable. All right, next, uh, you've got to think about metrics and reporting ownership. Now, this is about identifying the data points related to those exceptions that you're going to track. Often this will be metrics related to which contractors need exceptions, uh, which locations, which type of work, uh, who's requesting the exception. This is also about deciding where you're going to track this data. You know, is it part of your contractor management software? Are you using a spreadsheet? And then who owns that reporting on exceptions? Meaning who's looking at this data to identify any trends that require action. Now, usually this uh, individual who owns your contractor safety program, uh, they're really going to take on this responsibility as it's one aspect of the overall program. And then in terms of reporting frequency, 
meaning how often does this person need to review that data and perhaps share the information, this is really going to vary widely. Uh, in some companies, uh, we see maybe it's a good number of accession requests coming in, and this data needs to be reviewed monthly and shared. Uh, when in other companies uh, where the cadence of exceptions is more infrequent, maybe there's a quarterly review. Uh, and basically what I'm getting here is you'll need to align reporting frequency with the volume of exception requests at your company. All right, and then these last two items are common sense when rolling out any process in the organization, but in reality they can make or break the effectiveness of your process. So you're going to need to clearly document your exception process so that personnel out in the field have a clear guideline and actually know what steps to take when they fill for an exception is needed. And if you have this written guidelines related to your contractor safety prequalification process already, it's a good idea to weave in the information regarding your accession process since they go hand in hand. And then finally, communication. Once you've documented your process, clearly communicating to all your stakeholders and ensuring that a new field personnel or maybe project managers when brought aboard there is a plan in place to ensure that they're aware of how to handle requesting exception if the need arises. All right, now clearly, some of the aspects of implementing an exception process that we've just discussed get easier when you've got the right technology to support your process. All right, so if you're using a software tool to manage your contractor safety program, and it does include that exception management feature, that's going to give you many advantages. First, that's going to centralize all exceptions related information. So now everyone in your organization has easy access to view and verify where exceptions have been granted and what mitigations may be required on particular job sites as a result. And then back to that whole CYA aspect of exception management, the system is going to automatically capture a clear audit trail of any and all requests, whether or not they were approved or even why. So if this documentation is needed in the future, it's easily and readily accessible. And then next, there's easy communication. You know, those with the decision-making authority will have one place to go view any request, and even those requesters will get email notifications regarding any kind of status change for their exception. Uh, so it's really going to eliminate all of those maybe inefficient emails and phone calls that you may be having today. And then lastly, technology enables you to report and identify trends. All right, this is how you're able to easily understand which contractor or even which location, which type of work, is being requested again and again under an exception. All right, you might also see a trend emerging related to who's doing the requesting. There might be something related to your internal people that you need to explore. Uh, maybe a staff member who doesn't want to put in the effort to find a better contractor and just keeps asking for exceptions. Right. Or is there a personal connection to a bad contractor in play? But most often, this trend data is going to alert you 
where a safety professional may need to step in and provide some assistance to help that contractor, who's obviously very critical to your business, get better at safety. All right, to wrap up the topic of technology's role, I've got a polling question. Do you use technology today to manage your contractor safety program and related exceptions? So we have some answers here. We use a third-party solution. We use an internally built system. We have the use of Excel spreadsheets and Word documents, or maybe you're not sure. All right, so I'll give you a couple seconds, and then we'll look at the results. All right, so yeah, it looks like it varies a little bit. Um, just some more things on the trend metrics that come out of these types of technology solutions. You know, they might highlight contractors who are critical to your business, uh, but continuously aren't making the grade when it comes to safety. So now I want to talk a little bit about two different approaches that we've seen uh, to be very successful when used to help drive safety improvement among your contractors. All right, so the first one here, uh, the use of contractor safety audits. Now, this could be a desktop audit uh, where you're asking the contractor for records and documentation that demonstrate they are, in fact, implementing their safety program and policies as outlined in their safety manuals. You might also take it a step further and conduct a field audit where you talk to and observe the contractor's personnel out in the field. Now, this allows you to assess is that contractor really doing what they say they do in their safety manual on a daily basis out in the field? Now, a report of any audit findings is absolutely a useful tool to help the contractor understand there's a weakness or maybe even a gap in their safety program. All right, but what really moves the needle on driving improvement is having a formal corrective action process. This is where the contractor develops a written plan for implementing specific corrective actions, and then at a later date, you complete a follow-up audit to verify that that plan of corrective actions were indeed implemented. All right, now I know that a lot of safety departments are strapped for resources, so this is an area where a third-party audit service provider can really help supplementing you know, what your team has that bandwidth to do. All right, to give you an idea of effectiveness of an audit program that includes a very disciplined approach to corrective actions, I want to share some metrics from our desktop audit program here at Bearforce. All right, so in our program, our client contractors undergo a desktop audit every two years, and they're awarded up to 100 points during the audit. Uh, we then provide the opportunity to earn back half of any points that were deducted from program deficiencies. And if the contractor provides us with a written plan for implementing corrective actions, and we're able to verify implementation when we conduct that follow-up audit, we actually find that this approach creates a real incentive for contractors to take action on those corrective deficiencies. All right, so you can see here uh, on the screen off to the right, uh, what we've done is compared audit scores before versus after corrective actions that we completed at Verforce in 2016. 
Now the average contractor improved their audit score by almost 20 points after going through the corrective action process. So you can see there from a 60 to a 79. And then if you consider the same pool of contractors when they were audited two years later in 2018 and compare their average score before the corrective actions, you'll actually see there was a 10 points uh, change from two years earlier. So that's that 60 to the 70. And then completing the corrective action process that year drove their score up by another 17 points. So on average, you can see the 87. So it's, it's very clear. You know, there's a measurable upward trend in quality of these contractor safety programs when this continued focus of taking corrective actions are applied. All right, so the other tool I've seen very effective in improving safety performance is performance reviews. All right, now quarterly is often the cadence, but in some organizations, you might do them annually or some other frequency. Uh, but our goal here is to create a regular feedback loop and discussion regarding a contractor's safety performance. All right, now I'd, I'd encourage you to talk to your supply chain colleagues about this idea. Uh, because many organizations, this is something they're already doing to manage their supplier performance. So it may not mean creating some brand new meeting with your contractor, but just simply adding in to the discussion um, of you know discussion of safety on the agenda for those existing supply chain meetings, uh, or maybe even adding safety onto the vendor scorecard they may already be using. But the idea is that you're including safety performance metrics in their performance review. You know, if uh, how you know how's the contractor safety stats like their TRCR and DART rate trending over time? Um, if you have an audit program, you know what findings did you have? Uh, were there any corrective action plan? And then have they closed those gaps? Uh, it's, it's just really about creating an ongoing forum or dialogue about safety. So that's uh, first off going to make it clear to the contractor that seeing safety improvement. From them is a high importance to you and then secondly it's going to show them that you want to help them improve their safety culture by giving them that feedback and also providing the tools to do so and this will show them that you view safety as a partnership now are there going to be the occasions when you can't move the needle when you know when a contractor stays at that F or that D quarter over quarter despite your best efforts to coach them towards improving? Yeah, there probably will be. And this is where trending data is important. When you see the pattern emerging, it's time to start planning for a change and partnering with your supply chain colleagues to find and vet someone else to do that work. Now the key word here is planning. Once you see that trend, of non-improvement and ongoing exceptions emerging in your data, it's up to you to initiate the process of finding a better partner for your organization to work with. It's likely not going to be that local project manager who's always using the contractor who just raises that flag. But you, as a safety professional, need to raise that flag. And then that data from your exception process and your safety program that's going to arm you with the information you need to make that case for moving on from that contract. 
All right, so let's sum up what we talked about today. Now, I've made the case for why it's important for your company to have a formal exception management process as part of managing contractor safety. How a strong exception process is able to help your company proactively mitigate risk, better protect itself in the event of an incident or an accident, and determine where safety resources should be invested to help those weak contractors who are critical to your business improve or even identify when it's time to cut those ties with a contractor who simply isn't interested in improving. All right, we also talked about your action plan or next steps. I provided some considerations and best practices that you should keep in mind as you work through the process of developing and successfully implementing an exception management process at your own company as well as some ideas around using audits with corrective action follow-up, along with performance reviews and tools uh, to help you uh, get those weaker contractors better at safety. And then finally, that technology's critical role. And we saw how technology and data can be used to improve internal communication regarding those exceptions and ensure all exceptions are clearly documented and provide visibility into trends that highlight where you may have an issue or need to apply some safety resources. All right, so at the end of the day, a strong exception management process is an essential component to your contractor safety program. It's going to recognize the business reality that sometimes you don't have a great option when it comes to hiring a contractor and you need that flexibility but it also ensures that your contractor safety program can perform its intended function and that you don't weaken its ability to effectively reduce that risk that contractors introduce to your business and gets everyone home on your job sites safe at the end of the day. All right, so that concludes our presentation. Uh, right before we get to questions, just a second here. I do have one more polling question. Would you be interested in speaking to a Verforce representative about how our solution could support you in a more effectively managing your contractor safety program, uh, including the handling of exceptions like we discussed today? And it's a simple yes or no. I'll give you a couple seconds and uh, then we'll move on to some questions. All right, Marcus. Um, well, great job, and we thank you for your insights and expertise. Um, before we do get going with the Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to com uh, complete. Survey should be appearing on your screen now. Um, your input is important to us because it'll help us improve future webcasts. Um, if you don't see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And with that, we will get to uh, your question. First, um, we're currently rolling out a pre-qualification program for our contractors. Is an exception process something we should have in place immediately? 
Yeah, that's a, definitely a good question. Uh, so best practice uh, is to have your exception process ready to go at that initial contractor safety program implementation if, if it's possible. Uh, and like we'd mentioned earlier, uh, we find this can really reduce uh, common internal concerns regarding uh, disruption. Uh, so rolling out that program, um, you're basically implementing it on top of contractors that are already doing work for you. And you may find out that some of those contractors are already working for you have a poor safety score. And so um, it helps with the buy-in amongst your internal folks if they understand there is some flexibility there to your program and they can actually submit those exceptions um, and potentially get those approvals without stopping work. All right, next, um, we have a lot of contractors that are stuck and unapproved. How do we get out of the cycle of constant exceptions? Yeah, so uh, that, that ties back to uh, what we talked about a little earlier as well. Uh, this is you know, where tools like the contractor safety audits and performance reviews are key. Uh, just making sure you go through those processes to show those contractors that you're partnering with them and you want to get them better at safety. And then it ultimately comes down to once you've done that effort and you've given it your best shot there, uh, it's moving on, right? Now you have that data to where you're going to have to go identify a new contractor to do that work. Um, that's willing to uh, partner with you on safety. Okay, well, uh, no, we thank you. Unfortunately, the, we've run out of time today. I'm sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speaker. Once again, we hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. And that ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Marcus Pettis, everyone at Veriforce, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.